Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to Fresh Perspective. We're doing something a little different this week because I'm traveling and Tillman is super, super busy. So neither of us are able to watch this week's Real Housewife of Salt Lake City. But we had a conversation last week about how we didn't really understand Mormonism. And it feels like such a crucial part of the Real Housewives of Salt Lake City's lives. So... We decided, I kind of said this is a joke, but I'm going to upload it and hope Tillman listens as well as anyone else. So this is a deep dive of Mormonism. We'll be back next week with our regular schedule and we'll cover both this week's episode of Real Housewives of Salt Lake City and next week. But this week, all you're going to get is the Mormon bonus episode. Okay, let's go. So... To research this, I got a lot of info from Wikipedia. I did a little digging on Mormon mommy blogs and Mormon mommy podcasts. I went to some straight up LDS websites and then a ton, a ton of this information is from the series they do on the last podcast on the left. So they have a six part series and each episode starting from like the history of Joseph Smith's family is between one and a half and two hours long. So they go super, super, super deep into all of the history of Mormonism. And I super recommend listening if you're interested in this because they just have like endless info. They have a lot more historical context than I was able to squeeze in. And it's just so fascinating. But I'm going to keep it pretty high level with just like a basic history of Joseph Smith, a little bit on Brigham Young. And then at the end, we'll do a little bit into their beliefs and the background of how those came to be. Okay, let's get down to business. Also, if there's like, I don't, I can't, I won't be able to edit this audio because I don't have my computer. So <laughs> apologies if anything sounds weird or if I'm like breathing loudly or if there's background noise, I can't edit it out. Okay. Basically, in the most high-level explanation, the Book of Mormon is a missing portion of the New Testament. So Mormons believe that two-thirds of the New Testament are the current Bible, but there's a third section, which is the Book of Mormon, and this explains where Jesus was during the three days before his resurrection. As the Mormons believe it, Jesus was in upstate New York. So Joseph Smith was born in Vermont in 1805 to a farming family. And they moved to upstate New York around like 1817. Um, So they like bought bad farming land in New York and were basically always broke because they could never grow anything. So that was kind of his family's like MO. But on top of being a farming family, they also had this like side hobby of being into sort of folky magic. So these weren't like, he didn't come from like a good Christian family as the Protestants considered this like type of religion quote as either fraudulent illusion or the workings of the devil so while at the time it wasn't like a practice that was unheard of and there was actually a huge trend of like emerging religions and belief systems at this point the smith family wasn't really pious or even necessarily in good standing um particularly due to how joseph smith ended up using these magic arts for profit. So because he wasn't interested in farming like his family, Joseph Smith went on a different career path and he would make money through good old fashioned digging up buried treasure, but it wasn't in a cute scavenger hunt way. He dug it up from graves because back in the day people would be buried with their like family heirlooms. So he would just like dig up graves and and rob from them. So this type 
type of work, I guess, incorporated the use of seeing stones where Joey Smithy would claim that he could see the location of buried treasure using these quote-unquote seeing stones. And, sorry guys, I got a lot of breath. Anyway, so with this, like, reputation he developed of being able to locate treasure, Joey would scam local farmers who were also farming on bad land and totally out of money. And he would be like, if you pay me for my services, I will help you, quote-unquote, find treasure using my seeing stones. And he was wrong a lot of the time and, like, didn't find treasure, but because, like, I guess all these farmers were so broke, they were willing to do anything possible at the chance of finding money. He was really able to just like constantly scam people. So this gained him a pretty unsavory reputation in town, which I think is really interesting because a pretty fair modern stereotype of Mormons is that they actually are really like friendly and nice. Like obviously they have pretty conservative Christian beliefs that are like not the best, but I think anyone who's like met a Mormon, they're usually really friendly and sweet. So I just think it's funny that they're like OG prophet was pretty widely considered to be (laughs) just like a scam artist. It also makes me sad that they consider this man like a prophet and leader. And he was like widely known for just making stuff up. So without even knowing any other context of the Book of Mormon, it's pretty easy to put together that this just kind of originate as another method of him like scamming so this leads us into the next chapter where he starts to see visions i'm not totally sure like of the context of the visions because as i understand it joseph smith kind of started writing the book of mormon at the beginning at least because he wanted to make money through like selling this story so i don't really know whether the visions are part of like a contrived elaborate backstory whether he really felt like he was a prophet at this point whether he was really having visions and then he just worked them into the stories but regardless his first vision was a conversation between himself and god where he asked god what church was the correct one because there were so many new churches emerging joseph's family didn't really have a strict belief system so i guess he wanted to hear from god and god said that there was no one on earth yet who was right So then Joseph has his next vision, which is with Moroni, the angel. And Moroni visits Joey, and he says that there is a book in the woods written on golden tablets. And it explains the, like, origination of the former inhabitants of America, where they came from. And eventually this is what this story is, the the lost gospel that Mormons believe didn't make its way into the Bible. So... Moroni says that there are two seer stones that were buried with them and that they would help him translate what would become known as the Book of Mormon. And I just want to point out that like he seer stones seem to be a pretty common part of his scam. So it's another way to pretty easily point out that this was probably not an authentic religious experience. But anyway, he was also instructed suspiciously to never show the golden stab tablets to anyone because it was something about like the blind faith that people should have for god so joseph finds these stones but never ever shows anyone them so there's no one to corroborate that these stones exist he didn't even like make fake ones so 
yeah, I don't know. I I think it's interesting that so much there there just seems to be so many like really blatant holes in the religion, but it has such a big following. But anyway, Joseph goes to the place where Moroni told him to go and he digs up the gold plates. And Moroni had instructed him not to touch them for four years. So he keeps on doing his treasure hunting, which is interesting that like once Joseph had this like religious awakening, he he like still had to wait four years while he was still scamming, like legitimately scamming broke farmers after he was already having these like profit moments. Like, I don't know. He just seems like a bad guy. So Joseph Smith finally gets around to writing the story down of what is on these gold tablets. His family was in financial ruin. So I think there was a financial motivation to put this story out. And also, if you look at the historical context of some of the themes and stories in the Book of Mormon, you'll see that there's actually a bunch of stories floating around at the time that were really similar to Joey Smithy's writing. Um, the last podcast on the left goes like deeper into what specifically lines up with other histo- like stories emerging at the time. But yeah, he wasn't necessarily like even original, and it's very easy to point to where he probably got some inspiration for it. Okay, let's get into the contents of the Book of Mormon. So at this time, there was a burial ground in New York that the local people believed was like an ancient tribe of advanced white humans that went extinct because the natives wiped them out. Obviously, it was actually just um, a burial ground of Native Americans, but (laughs) it was a lot easier, I guess, for them to believe in this crazy legend. So the Book of Mormon tells the story of Nephi and his brothers. And (laughs) interestingly enough, Nephi has brothers in the same order that Joseph Smith has brothers, like he's the same amount of older as younger So, like, Joseph Smith wasn't even very creative with this. But basically, Nephi fled Jerusalem because it was, like, set for destruction. And his older brothers were evil. So, God turned their skin red. And this began the race of Native Americans, which they call Lamanites. So, pretty blatant racism right off the bat. And because Nephi was good, he got to keep his white skin. And the white people are called the Nephites. And another pretty easy hole straight from the beginning is that the people of Jerusalem weren't even white. So, like, it takes pretty much zero critical thinking to realize that this is, like, already an extremely flawed legend. Because the whole concept of the Nephites and the white people being higher up and more holy, like, holier and more virtuous than people with darker skin even if they were, like, they weren't the people of Jerusalem. Like, it just doesn't make any sense. It's just, like, racist and has nothing to back it. But basically, the Lamanites and Nephites, I guess, leave Jerusalem and somehow wind up in upstate New York, naturally. And um, they battle for years. And I'm not, like, totally sold on, like, how they got to Jerusalem from New York, but whatever. Anyway, these years of battles eventually create this amount of body. So this goes back to, like, the original inspiration for why he started writing this. But then the Book of Mormon is surrounding this, like, battle with the overarching idea that um, it was the Nephites' duty in America to bring the Lamanites to Christianity, um, which evolves, I think, after Jesus' resurrection. But just in general, there seems to be this idea of the Nephites chasing the Lamanites to try and get them to, like, turn white and turn good. Um, which I do think feeds into the current culture of missionaries. I think they've since rejected in Mormonism 
the idea that you have to be white to be good, you'll see that there's a lot of quote unquote revelations where they get to change the rules to whatever they want to seem less problematic or whatever. So I don't think that's real anymore, but it is interesting that it started out with this need to convert and that's still really strong in the Mormon religion today. Okay. So, um, so this like idea of the Nephites having the duty to bring America, uh, to bring Lamanites to Christianity continued on into the 1800s when Jojo Smith was spreading the word of Mormonism. And, you know, there was tensions at the time with the indigenous people. This was right around when like the Trail of Tears was about to happen. So they were all being displaced and removed from their homes. And fortunately for Jojo Smith, the Book of Mormon wound up being really timely because he, so the belief like went on that the Native Americans, if they joined Christianity, they would become white. And obviously this is like racist and whatever. And it implies that you have to be white to get to heaven and whatever. We know Mormons are kind of racist anyway, but it is kind of backed by a quote from the Bible. Not that you have to be white to go to heaven, but that there maybe is this like other race of God that could be Mormons because there's this like quote in the Bible about people like God's people living somewhere else that like Jesus wasn't. And so it does for anyone who is really religious and is looking to like find validity in this, it does kind of validate the idea that the Lamanites and Nephites are this other like race of humanity. Um, so that really helped Joseph with um, getting people to believe his story. The quote in the Bible that says it is, Jesus goes, Other sheep I have which are not of this fold, also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice. Kind of like sounds like how Yoda talks, but anyway. <laughs> so I guess Joseph Smith was able to to make it so that the other sheep were like the Lamanites and Nephites in America, and Jesus came to them after he was crucified, and he made peace between the two tribes, but then like the devil interfered, and that's why they stopped getting along. So after like telling, like spreading this story a little bit, Joseph Smith decides to transcribe the book in the hopes of selling it. So um, he recruits this transcriber to come and write it down because I guess Joseph Smith couldn't write. Um, But the um, guy's wife, the transcriber's wife, didn't believe in Joseph's story and the tablets. So she was constantly trying to find these gold tablets when she was at their house. She couldn't find them anywhere. Um, but eventually she requested to read the transcription once her husband was done transcribing it. So her husband brought the one existing copy of the Book of Mormon and this smarty pants lady hid it and said, Joseph Smith, if you're really a prophet and these tablets really exist, transcribe the entire thing word for word and I'll believe you. And Joseph Smith, quick thinker, was not able to do this because the tablets did not exist. But he said that it was actually due to the interference of Satan and that like, actually, oh my God, Satan doesn't want these, the, he, he interfered. So like God doesn't want these plates to be spread anyway. So like actually, uh, the, these plates aren't like, we, we have to get new plates. And I think this is interesting because it's like this fear mongering is still exists in Mormonism today, where I believe Mormons are instructed not to really consume outside media and anything that goes against their beliefs or questionings, like any, anything like that is, is like inherently evil. So <laughs> straight up scaring people into thinking they'll burn in hell if they question their faith is a very persistent tactic in Mormonism. And you can trace it right back to some of the first moments Joseph Smith was starting to spread the religion. 
So anyway, Joseph Smith says that Satan um, led the woman to question the plates and, and that sullied them. So God is actually directing Joseph to news plates. And the second version is what we know as the Book of Mormon today. And these um, had a little bit more religion injected the, into them. So they were a little more preachy. I guess Joseph Smith had an agenda when he wrote these. So I'm not totally sure on the specific details differentiating the two versions, but there are a few blunders Jojo made in the second transcription that pretty much entirely debunk the idea that these stories are anything but made up by a man in the 1800s. For example, he like misplaces John the Baptist. He says Jesus was born in Jerusalem. He was born in Bethlehem. So that's just straight up wrong. And then he says that the like natives had like horses and cows and sheep even though it was pretty well known that the Europeans brought all of those over so they wouldn't have had these animals back when Jesus was walking the earth but again with this fear-mongering tactic Joseph Smith says in the book he he has lines where it's basically like if anyone calls out any of these mistakes or questions the teaching you'll go to hell so everyone's too scared to point any of these inconsistencies out and there's just no critical thinking in the Mormon church but like Obviously, if you're told you're going to burn in hell if you question things, you're not going to. So it's not really their fault. I think they've all been manipulated. So Joseph Smith publishes the book once they've transcribed the second version. And then he starts to get followers. So he brings these like men through like prayer retreats and visions that prove, quote unquote, that his words are true. And these men, whether it's through just trying to convince themselves or hypnosis, or maybe they were seeing visions, they start to see things that she, that Joseph is leading them through, which in turn makes Joseph start to believe he actually does possess powers because he's thus far, as far as we understand it, kind of scamming his way through. And now he's like leading men on retreats and they're like, oh my God, I see the stones. And he's like, you do? Okay. So he starts to believe that he is this prophet who can communicate with God and eventually as he's like trying to evolve into this like have this following he I guess executes an exorcism and this is really what solidifies him and gives him the confidence that he can lead a religion and he gained followers really fast but he also gained haters because don't forget anyone who knew him growing up knows that his family is into like magic and that he was a famous scammer so they kind of began to attack mormonism which was i think kind of in favor of joseph smith because now he's like oh we're persecuted and like we, this parallels jesus's experience of persecution so anyone who's following the religion and is willing to get roped up in this is going to be like oh, yes we are persecuted oh my god joey joe so anyway um also this is like a little bit different <laughs> It's actually completely different. But when I was thinking about this, I was like, I just feel so bad for these townspeople. Because imagine some total jerky guy you grew up with starts telling everyone he's a prophet. And you just have to sit there and watch him pull off the most massive scam of his life. And just like no one believes you. And it's not the same. But there's this guy that I grew up with who was like the biggest, biggest jerk in town. Like he fully got our homecoming homecoming taken away because he was so mean to anyone and now he is an increasingly successful singer and he has millions of monthly listeners on spotify and he is blowing up on tiktok and a bunch of people use his sound and so like obviously he's going to be successful and so anyway i felt i felt for the townspeople in that moment because i was like yeah that's a hard thing that to watch so i don't really know how you could be team jojo smith but 
anyway, he, he motiv- this motivates him. He starts building out the tre- church system. He's like, yes, we're an official religion because we're persecuted. So he also has a bunch of revelations, which is the name he uses for conversations with God. And this is his technique for adding new beliefs and rules that aren't in his aren't things he originally thought up when he was writing the Book of Mormon. And even today, whoever is the president of the Mormon church is also considered to be a prophet. So they can still, to this day, amend whatever they want through revelations. Like um, in the 70s, I think they stopped saying that like black people couldn't enter the church because they realized it was like super racist. But the way it was posed was the, the prophet slash president at the time was like, oh my gosh, wait, I had a revelation. And like, actually God wants black people to be allowed in the church now so it's it makes it so that the church is pretty flimsy and i think it allows whoever the leader is to have a lot of control over people but this will come up a lot um so some of mr smith's revelations include the city of zion which was said to be um this like city that was originally supposed to be the um We'll get into it in a second, but the city of Zion is supposed to be built on the borders of the Lamanites. And this revelation and the idea of converting the Native Americans was actually a really good way for him to grow traction because, as I mentioned, there's that indigenous tension that was existing between the colonizers and the indigenous people. And he was also able to use like a pseudoscience that claimed light-skinned Native Americans were more likely to join with like European colonizers and adhere to their society. And this was at the time accepted to be some sort of like scientific thing. It's a pseudoscience. It's not true. But this allowed people to buy into Mormonism because they were like, oh, this is backed by science. Obviously, lighter skinned Native Americans adhere to society because they're closer to like the Nephite race that God wants them to be, blah, 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 blah. So Joseph keeps getting revelations. He gets like a sequel, quote unquote, I guess, to the Book of Mormon, which is sent to his mind by God. And it depicts a conversation between God and Moses. And Jojo Smith says that this conversation was omitted from the Old Testament because the Jewish people were wicked. So just to keep track, Joey so far has been racist. He's scammed poor people and now he's anti-Semitic. The revelation also removes the label of the Jewish people being God's people, because as the Bible says it, um, the Jews are God's people. And this revelation would negate that. It would say, no, they're not. Because the city of Zion was originally a city for the Jewish people, but it was taken away because they were too righteous. And so God tells Joseph Smith, he has to rebuild Zion for the Mormons. So (laughs) Joseph Smith has a vision that the Mormons have to go to Ohio to build the city of Zion, which I think is just so funny that Ohio could ever be like a holy ground. But anyway, this is coincidentally also, he needs to move west to get away because everyone hates him. And um, he's got to get out of there because they're being persecuted. So it seems pretty timely that he has a vision that's telling him to move west. But anyway, so Joseph moves to Ohio, people flock to him, he's getting tons of followers. And part of this is because, um, as the Bible says, when the second coming of Christ comes, there's going to be prophets popping up. So anyone who's like very Christian and inclined to believe um, in the teachings of the Bible is going to say, okay, this is a sign that Jesus is coming. So we have to believe the prophet. So, you know, on top of all of his pseudoscience with Native Americans, everything, tons of people are flocking to him. And because they um, believe that the end of humanity is near, 
um, this is why they refer to themselves as Latter-day Saints, because they, they believe that the last day is coming. So anyway, Joseph Smith moves them to Ohio. He also starts asking for money from his followers, which I guess is another revelation that, he, that the followers have to give him money. And interestingly enough, this continues with Mormonism today, because even now, Mormons are required to give 10% of their income to the church. So just, you know, keeping track, we can add racist, scam the poor, anti-Semi, and straight up stealing from his people. I, I just don't really understand why people were so diehard with him. I tried to, like, I don't know, I was, like, hunting around to see if, like, modern Mormons say anything about it, and I'll get into it a little bit later, but just, it, it just doesn't seem like they really question him that much, which I guess you see in a lot of religions, but... So as he's growing traction, he also is slipping up a little bit. So he has this like public attempt at healing people and performing miracles because at this point he doesn't think he's scamming people. He thinks he is a prophet and he just like doesn't do it. Like he doesn't heal any of the people he tries to heal. So now he's being run out of Ohio after being run out of New York. And so coincidentally, he once again has a revelation that he has to move further west. So his revelation says that actually Zion is going to be built in Missouri. So they go to Missouri they don't even find Zion, so they go back to Ohio, and he has more revelations, and we'll go into those at the end, but he just seems so flaky, and some people are starting to realize that Joseph is a phony, and they even tarred and feathered him, and like beat him, and these people like crushed a bottle in his mouth, and some like kidnapping to try and teach him a lesson, but this is ended up serving him, because he survived the tar and feathering, and showed up the next day to preach to the Mormons, so that helps shape this idea of him being like this strong, merciful man who will do anything for his people um and so that even though there's a lot of people seeing holes in him and calling him out he still is gaining more followers and then also he just has the like societal context of the time to back up his claims because now andrew jackson was sending forcibly removing natives from their home and sending them west and so joseph's prophecy that zion is out west starts to line up because now the native americans are moving west and According to his original revelation, Zion is on the border of the Lamanites. So if the natives are moving west and Joseph's moving west, Mormons who want to buy into this can put together that, you know, they're all getting called to the same place together to build Zion. And they'll eventually, you know, call Zion home and convert the natives. Super, super problematic. Um, but, you know, Missouri, even though all these things are kind of falling into place for him, Missouri is turning on Joseph's people. So they have a full-on, like like battle and joseph creates an army of mormons to retaliate which again like i think about how mormons are kind of like nice and friendly today but he fully was using like violence like it wasn't very like jesus or merciful so i don't know i just like cannot believe going into this how blatantly corrupt and like scammy the religion was i kind of thought maybe there would be some stuff that i would like buy into a little bit and so far they're just like hasn't been. So there's a full-fledged battle of the Mormons versus Missouri. Missouri obviously wins, so the Mormons continue their travel west, and they move to Illinois. And this is, I can't, I don't know how to pronounce this name, but the Mormons established a, stel, a settlement called Nauvoo or Novu or something, N-A-U-V-O-O. And Joseph is now having some revelations that are more, you know, we recognize with Mormonism. He establishes that polygamy is a little bit allowed, and he kind of said it like underground, but I guess word spread, it ends up being published in a local newspaper that Joseph Smith says polygamy is allowed, which implies that he's above the law because it was illegal in the U.S. at that time. 
Joseph Smith didn't like that, so he ordered the publication to be burned down. Again, pretty blatant violence for someone who claims to be a prophet and follower of Jesus. And he then, after burning down the publication, declares martial law in Illinois, um, which causes a lot of local tension to arise. And Illinois ends up, um, like, charging him for treason because he can't just declare martial law. And so Joseph turns himself in. And in a pretty anticlimactic end, he get, he just gets killed while he's in jail. The jail gets stormed by a mob who hates Mormons, and he and his brother are killed. And Mormons see this as an act of martyrdom. I just see this as an act of someone who had a big head and an ego and was obsessed with himself. But that's the end of Joseph Smith, which means our next prophet comes into power, and that is Brigham Young, who had been a follower of Joseph Smith's for a while. He was very anti-polygamy at the beginning, and then he, like... (laughs) I guess Joseph Smith convinced him to be into it, and all of a sudden he had, like, 50 wives and was, like, a super grody guy. But Brigham Young honestly makes Joseph Smith look like a a sweet little saint. So he brings the Mormons to flee further west because now they can't really stay in Illinois because they've once again lost, like, a battle and whatever. So they move further west, and... Beyond Brigham having 50 wives, which I think says enough about his character, he really gets into corporal punishment. And they travel west and he's like, let's start flogging people. Because he has this idea that when they arrive west, he's going to have like this very pure group of like saintly Christians to build Zion. But in order to ensure everyone saintly, he has to get all the sinners out. So he does a lot of flogging to punish anyone. He also is a pretty solid misogynist. He once said the quote that women are, quote, the dirtiest creature, dirtier than men. Men are honest and women lie. If a woman tells the truth, it is a miracle. So yeah, he was was pretty bad. He'd also punish Mormons for fraternizing with any people of color as they were crossing into the Rocky Mountains. But like he also (laughs) was really into having parties and he like (laughs) made everyone square dance all the time which they mentioned this in the last podcast on the left, but I guess BYU, Brigham Young University, is still really good at dancing, and it kind of points back to them dancing a ton when they were traveling west. I guess it became a really important part of their culture. It's interesting how all of these certain like quirks of Mormonism have persisted over the years, like them dancing. Um, that was his only redeeming factor, though. Beyond dancing, he was just, like, a horrible man. So he, they arrive in what is now Salt Lake City. Brig Boy Young forces the Mormons to build the city. And at this point, he's been, like, purposefully malnourishing them. So he, they're really easy to control because they rely on him for food. So he gets to have them build this whole city without questioning his how he's leading the city or the, the religion now. Um, it was just, like, a... a extreme use of control to have them all tired and hungry and doing manual labor for him um he also gets like really radical in his admittance to polygamy which as we saw because it was really the cause of his death joseph never really publicly got into polygamy but um brigham is into it and he also is into slavery in fact these two arguments went hand in hand because he considered both wives and slaves to be owned property um he also killed local Native Americans, and he was into the Mormon belief, which I don't know if this was originally in the Book of Mormon or Revelation, but this belief that you're allowed to kill someone who's like a really bad sinner 
because it could be seen as giving them a chance to fight for a spot in heaven rather than continuing to sit on earth. So, like, he was also kind of into mor- uh, murder. Um, and because of all of this, like, craziness, I I start, like, I was just reading all of this. And this is also kind of where um, the, like, story ends because then Mormonism just is, like, built up in Salt Lake City. There's not a ton more that goes on. Brigham Young, like, sucked, but... You know, I don't think it's it's a surprise to anyone that Mormonism was founded on racist and misogynistic ideals. Um, but I was curious, you know, this is one of their most major prophets. I mean, there's a there's a school named after him. I was so I looked into what um like today's Mormons think of him, and I'm sure there's mixed beliefs about him, but I found this like um Mormon blog and this is a person defending Brigham Young. And now, like, I, I know I said at the beginning that Joseph Smith sucked because he was, like, scamming people. But you can see that there's some nuances in interpreting Joseph Smith's intent. Brigham was the worst. He was just, like, horrible. He was, like, a tyrant. So, anyway, the blog that defended him said that he preached crazy things, but his actions were actually pretty merciful. I think we can, like, I mean... You know, I think the things we've heard maybe negate that. But if you're a Mormon, you want to look the other way. Okay, whatever. So one of the examples the blogger used was that um, at one point, these soldiers came through Salt Lake City. And they stayed there for a couple months. And when they left, a bunch of Mormon women left with them. And the the way the blogger framed this was as a sort of like seductive kidnapping where the women were like victims of these men's charm and like left in the name of lust or whatever. Um, in quoting a Briggy Briggy Young quote, the bloggers like talked about how the woman women were sent off to be quote unquote whoring off. So like I thought, <laughs> anything that is defendable about Brigham Young after that, he already called the women whores. So yeah, there's not a lot of going back. But anyway, um, his example goes on to say that like a woman decided she wanted to return, so she wrote a letter to her dad asking to return, and Brigham allowed her to, and the blogger said that this was an example of his mercy. I think, personally, it was an example of him wanting to control more people, but whatever. I was also much more distracted by this one instance of mercy. I was, you know, I couldn't pay attention to that because I was distracted by the fact that was being overlooked that so many women wanted to leave. I think the fact that all these women were willing to up and leave with these random soldiers, then stay under the ruling of Brigham Young, I think that speaks to what it was like to be a woman in early Mormonism days. So even though the, like, I don't know, I think this was a flawed thing. And I think ultimately we can see that there probably isn't really a good defense of Brigham Young. And what it comes down to is people that don't really question things like this that are buying into the fall, um, like the beliefs. Um, the other argument he used was like writing him off as just like flawed. And they were like, consider, you know, what you think your definition of a prophet is. Because maybe a prophet isn't actually what you think they are. But, like, I think a prophet should be a godly person. You know, if I were to believe in a prophet, I would hope that it's someone who is merciful and loving and accepting. I don't think that it's, like, you have to reevaluate what you think of a prophet if if a prophet is racist, you know? Um, But I, I looked into some other, like, LDS media, because by the way, the Mormons don't like to be referred to as Mormons. They find it offensive. They like Latter-day Saints. But I was looking into like podcasts and mommy blogs and stuff. And it really does seem like 
like I I do believe that they feel that they lead with compassion like really all of the strongest beliefs and teachings that they referenced were being compassionate and acceptant or accepting and like I know that they aren't necessarily actually like that but it's so interesting that these like evil men founded this religion that seems to be so big on compassion and love even though like obviously they're really like conservative and closed-minded but I don't know I, I I just feel like at the end of the day I'm a lot more against Mormonism than I was at the beginning I think at the beginning I was kind of just like haha it's a silly little belief but now I'm like no this is a religion that is like blatantly used to control people founded on racism like no 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 I'm I'm very much not into it but let's get into a couple of the beliefs that like us lay people know about so let's start with no caffeine or alcohol so this comes from this was never in the book of mormon joseph smith had a no coffee and tea revelation um and we know where this came from because brigham young actually wrote it so this kind of like outs the reason behind this where the men would all hang out together and like listen to joseph's teachings and they would also all like be doing chewing tobacco and joseph's wife hated it so he was like okay let's stop doing chewing tobacco and like while we're at it let's not eat or drink hot drinks either i'm not really sure why that happened but this conversation evolved into one of the followers being like actually let's just ban anything that alters like any state altering substance so they just passed it which basically just means it was literally just like an arbitrary rule and mormons to this day still can't drink alcohol or caffeine um their undergarments so these sacred mormon underwear something i've always wondered about because they just seem ridiculous and similar to the caffeine the mandate to wear them in the temple doesn't really come from actual teachings in the book of mormon or like the bible again they were they were a revelation by joseph smith they have some significance around being pure and faithful which is similar to other like garments you see in other religions where people just have to wear them because they're a representation of being close to god but I think if you really look at the like significance beyond that, controlling what people wear under their clothes enables a really deep physical level of manipulation that the leaders can have over the Mormon people. So I think that's really what it comes down to. I always thought there was like a much higher purpose to wearing these, and I think it's just exerting control over people. Okay, the juicy stuff. Life and the afterlife. So the Mormons believe that God created like earth as a place to test humans and after death humans will go to one of three kingdoms there is the celestial kingdom which is where latter-day saints go because they know the truth and they are enlightened and then i forget what the other one's called but there's this other kingdom which is where people who were never introduced to mormon teachings so if you are listening to the podcast you don't qualify for this one anymore Maybe you could have gone to this one before, but now you can't because you know Mormon teachings. Unless you accept it. Unless you become Mormon after listening to this, which uh, that would be interesting. Um, and then there's the third worst kingdom, the lowest of them all. And this is the Telestial Kingdom. And uh, this is anyone who has heard the word and rejected it. And I remember in Real Housewives of Salt Lake City, Heather says that she is like below serial killers like that's the one she would go to because she's heard Mormonism and rejected it were technically serial killers 
that never knew about the teachings of Mormonism would get into a higher realm than she would. But so those who go to the celestial division, they are have the highest honor. And that means that they become gods and goddesses and rule over their own kingdom slash planet. So Mormons thus believe that there are lots of other planets that are all ruled by gods and goddesses, even though they're God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, the only ones that can be worshipped. So they're not, um, they're not like, uh, it's not like Greek gods where they have all these other gods they believe. And they only believe that Earth's God is the one they worship, but they also believe that he was once a mortal and died and inherited our planet to rule over. Um, okay. Kind of feeding into this is marriage. So because of the afterlife beliefs extending into like the god and goddess roles of planets, marriage is super important to Mormonism. And they're all about this like eternal family where whoever you marry on earth is someone that you will be with and rule a kingdom with eternally. Back when polygamy was allowed, a man could rule with his um all of his wives, he ruled, <laughs> there are all these goddesses on those planets, but um, polygamy was removed because a Mormon president and prophet Wilfred Woodruff in 1890 had a um, revelation <laughs> that they should only marry one person, which I'm sure was actually wrapped into a current political climate, but you know. Okay, and the final one is, we've touched on this a little bit, but the prophets, I feel like pr- the idea of prophets is always being thrown around in Mormonism. <clears throat> Sorry, everyone. Um, So for Mormons, the president of their church is also a prophet. So they have an ongoing line of prophets and God speaks to them and that way they are allowed to have revelation. So the Mormon church continues to evolve um, like how it ended polygamy and let black people into the church, which just makes me feel like I would be less inclined to trust I think the teachings of the church when one man can kind of derail everything if he feels like he gets a word from God. I don't know. I just I'm I'm I just am shook that so many people would believe in Mormonism and not see all of these pretty easy ways to debunk it. Um but I found it really interesting. I really enjoyed doing this research. Once again, you have to go and listen to the last podcast on the left they do such a good job um but yeah as we dive into our real housewives of salt lake city episodes next week we'll be keeping all of this context in mind and now we'll be able to tell when the women are sinning when they're being women of god i'll be analyzing all of their moves to find out if lisa really is as the pious one etc etc i'm also here with my sister lucy who was on the plathville episodes and who also loves Mormonism. Do you have anything to say about Mormonism? Um, I think you covered a lot. Oh, I think you covered a lot of it. Mormons are a fascinating species of people. They, uh, I've been watching their vlogs for years and it makes me feel like an anthropologist. (laughs) Um, there is so much, if you go on their Reddit snark pages, there is so much abuse that goes on in their, those perfect Mormon households. Um, it's just absolutely fascinating. So I would recommend go uh, watching some Mormon families, including Not Enough Nelsons, a Mormon family with 16 kids. Um, One of them is an adopted Native American kid, which is... (laughs) It's absolutely fascinating. 
and they put her on all the like thumbnails <gasps> and oh, it's that's so bad it's very bad um it's fascinating oh, mormons one thing that i find also fascinating is that they love talking about um sex and puberty and they they like film themselves having the birds and the bees talk online yeah when i was looking <laughs> through um the the podcast there were so many that covered the topic of porn yes like, i don't yeah. know why that's such a big it's deal it's crazy um those are like the main topics they love to talk about um it's very odd there's so many mormon families that um have like period kit videos and weird. it's and like how to shave it's so weird so that's just my main things go watch mormon vlogging families eight passengers not enough nelson's ohana adventure the leroy's <laughs> were you surprised by how unhinged the actual teachings were like how much did you actually know about mormonism before i i went into it oh all i really knew was about like the racism and you know they can't drink coffee mm-hmm. um but it's so interesting like it's it's shocking how easily like how many holes there are and how it was like founded by these like crazy horrible men like i yeah. i just thought that maybe there was some something more compelling about the beliefs no and it's crazy because when you watch the vlogs you can just tell these people are brainwashed Mm -hmm. and they always talk about how mormonism is the truth and it's like the one way to heaven and it's just so interesting yeah that's a good point it's it's such clear brainwashing yeah like when you when you say your religion is the truth not just that you believe in it like that's when you know it's a cult you know yeah very very much a cult i hunt i i kind of would like jokingly say Mormonism was a cult before. I wholeheartedly believe it's a cult now. Absolutely. Ugh, Mormonism is the best. (laughs) Okay. Well, (laughs) thanks anyone who got this far listening. Sorry we didn't talk about reality TV this week, but we will be back to our regular programming next week. Bye!